Welcome to episode number 129 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now, at the Engineering Management Institute, we believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. Now, in this episode, I'm interviewing two presidents, two female presidents of two civil engineering companies in Texas. Julia Harrod, who is the president of MWM Design Group, and Bonnie Moss, who is the president of MBCO Engineering. And what was great about this episode is they kind of gave us some of the steps that they took to become leaders in their firms, but also just gave some great advice for you to be the most productive and successful civil engineering professional that you can be. So I'm super excited about this episode. It's another one of the episodes in our Women in Civil Engineering series, which has been going very well. And again, we thank you to all of our listeners who've been nominating women for this series. And I'm actually going to be heading to Hawaii to record another episode of this one. So I've got that coming soon. Now, before we get started with our two presidents for today, this is a free show and our sponsors do help us keep it free. So please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast to coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'll tell you more about Mazer Consulting a little later on in the episode. If you know of any engineering company or organization that would like to sponsor the Civil Engineering Podcast, please contact our producer, Angelique, at angelique at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. All right, now let me tell you just a little bit about each of our guests for today so that you get to know them a little bit before I dive in with them. Julia M. Harrod, PE, is the president of MWM Design Group, a multidisciplinary firm providing civil engineering, architecture, land surveying, landscape design, and permitting services throughout Texas. After graduating early from MIT in 1990 with a BS in architectural design and spending nine months working in Bath, England for an architectural firm, Julia arrived in Austin and began work at Martinez and Wright Engineers, now MWM Design Group, as a design technician. It was there that she changed her career path from architecture to civil engineering. She pursued her MSc at UT Austin while working at MWM and obtained her PE license by 1997. Two years later, she was appointed the firm's board of directors, and she went on, of course, to become the president. And she talks about this a little bit, but I love the idea of going from architecture to civil engineering, because to me, that gives you 
so much insight into all aspects of projects, right? And kind of a, a little bit of, a, of an advantage over other civil engineers. And now I'd like to introduce Bonnie Moss, also a professional engineer, founding partner, and president of MB Co Engineering, a firm created by a group of individuals who love engineering solutions. Under her leadership, MB Co brings together the best of the best, offering public and private agencies a full service team with over 100 years of combined experience. She has over 20 years of experience in the design of transportation and traffic engineering, including project management and preparation of plans, specifications, and estimates for large scale traffic signal systems roadway and drainage design projects, and traffic management systems. And Bonnie kind of gets into the whole business and finance side of engineering and some of the items that she talked about. And we'll include their full bios in the show notes for this episode. But now I want to dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with these two bright civil engineering presidents. Let's do it. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guests to today's episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. That's right. I said guests. I have two guests with me today. I have Julia Harrod. Julia is the president of MWM Design Group, and I have Bonnie Moss with us as well. And Bonnie is the president of MBCO Engineering, and they're both leading women in the civil engineering field in the state of Texas. So I thought it'd be nice to have them both on together and I'm going to let each one of them introduce themselves here in a moment. But first of all, I just want to welcome you both to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So, Julia, let's start with you. Why don't you just give us a quick overview, just a quick rundown of your firm size, the type of work you do, and a little bit about your background. We're a multidiscipline firm. We've been in business since 1980. I've actually been with the firm since 1990. I started as a drafts person and worked my way up. Actually started here before I even got my engineering degree. So my first degree is in architecture from MIT. I have a bachelor's there, and then I got my master's at UT Austin in engineering after working here at the company as a draftsperson for a couple of years. Then became a PE, a project manager, principal. Eventually took over as president. We are, like I said, a multidiscipline firm. So having that multidiscipline background has been really beneficial. We provide architectural, landscape architecture, surveying, civil engineering, and permitting services, mostly in Central Texas, about a 75-mile radius around Austin. We're about 50 people. So you went from that architectural background, then you switched in over to civil engineering. Yes, I did. Bonnie, how about you? So I've been in the industry about 23 years. Um, MBCO Engineering has been around about four and a half years. We have about 27 employees. And like Julia's company, we're a multidisciplinary, but mainly focus on government agency type work, um, TxDOT, counties, local municipalities, designing roadways, uh, traffic, transportation, large diameter waterline design. We also have a surveying component to our company too. Like I said before, I've been in the industry about 22 years and just worked up the ranks, just engineering training, became a PE project manager. And then at some point we kind of decided to just jump out and, and do our own thing. And here we are today. Bonnie, kind of going along those lines, you are one of the founding partners of MBCO. And I know that a lot of our listeners are aspiring to be presidents of a company or owner in a firm. I know that it appears to be very glamorous, which I'm sure it is in a lot of ways, but I'm sure that there's ups and downs that go along with it. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your experience as someone responsible for building kind of the, the company from the ground up. 
we started from scratch. And it's funny you say that because everybody thinks that the president has the most glamorous title. And what I always say to that is, well, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. I would say business ownership, yes, it has its ups and downs, but at the beginning of starting a company, you know, we're four and a half years in, it's, it is the way of life, ups and downs. And so once you accept that and don't get caught up in the whirlwind or drama, and you, and you just don't let it beat you down. And understanding that you're in this for the long game and you have to keep that ultimate goal in sight. Some of the downs is it's a lot of hard work, lots of hours. You give up some free time, maybe lack of steady income. You know, you're the rainmaker among other things and there's a lot of stress. But the great thing is that you have independence. You can kind of control your own destiny, opportunity. And what's phenomenal is that you get to help the local economy by employing folks. That's the greatest thing. I like really hearing Bonnie talk about those things. I think they're important for, you know, civil engineers to think about those. You don't have to be owning your own firm, but even getting to partner and having shares in the company and thinking about things like that. I mean, like everything, there's some risks associated with things, there's benefits associated with things, but I like thinking about it as if you know going into it that you're in for a little bit of a roller coaster, then you can try to still stay focused on your goals and objectives, even as the kind of roller coaster is going up and down. So I think that that's a really great way to frame it out. So Julia, being that we've kind of talked about this idea of it being hard, but also being rewarding, I know that in you know reading a little bit about you and, and what you've done with your firm, you recognize the stresses in the world of engineering today, and you've tried to do some things in the workplace to try to help alleviate or help people to deal with that and still be able to have a life that they are happy to live outside of work and a happy life at work. So can you talk about that a little bit, that philosophy? It's really important to me. It's very important to our firm. Bonnie can attest to this. I mean, it's not an easy job. We put our heart and souls into engineering. I mean, it's a higher calling, if you will. We're serving the greater good, the greater public with our projects. And I think you know, people always have that in mind. So when you've got unreasonable deadlines, you, you do everything you can to meet them. And that can take a real toll on you emotionally, physically, your family, everything else. So it's really important to us that people have some outlet, not only you know, being sure that there's a good work-life balance and they have time on their own to go take care of things that they need to take care of, but also to be sure that at the office that we're providing a really good atmosphere for them to work in. So that means being sure that we're we place a really high priority on our connectivity with each other, how we treat each other, and also just being able to take um, breaks in the office. So we have a variety of different things that people can do from chess to ping pong to there's a massage chair in my wellness room. They can walk around the office. We play board games. Uh, we have a lot of different activities so people can have a little bit of downtime so their brain can rest a little bit and get back you know, refreshed when they're actually working. But also I find that being able to interact with each other on something other than a project really helps when it comes to the stress of a deadline on a project. So that's a couple of the things that we do intentionally to be sure people have that downtime. What I want to kind of ask both of you about, because I'm sure it's something that a lot of civil engineers think about, maybe because they want to be a president or, or executive or a leader one day, is you know your time management. I think that as you grow in your career, if you're not paying attention to that. In other words, when you're younger as an engineer, you're doing a lot of design work. You know, There's no questions as to what you should be working on. It's very clear cut. But as you get into the positions that you're both at, your time 
to the growth of the company is extremely important and valuable and where you're focusing it is extremely probably valuable and directly related to the growth of the firm. And so I'll start with you on this one, Julia. Just really simple to think about is how do you kind of think about where you spend your time or when you come to the office each day or each week, what kind of a process or how are you thinking about where your efforts need to be that day or week? My method is pretty specific to me. I have a weekly plan that I set out. I close out my week and I open out my next week in terms of being sure I've gotten everything done and line up my priorities for the week. And then every day I come up with a plan for the day. And I just intentionally be sure that I'm touching the different projects and the different aspects of the firm that I need to be doing on a daily, weekly basis. And without that, you're right, it's very easy to get distracted by something and leave some of these bigger projects off the table. Because I don't have somebody, I don't have a client calling me on a deadline for our strategic initiatives for the firm, for instance. That's all me trying to be sure I get that done. But one thing that I notice in general in our profession The things that make you successful as an EIT are not the same things. Well, they're pretty close to the things that will make you successful as a project engineer. But once you go from project engineer to project manager to supervisor, those skill sets and very specifically that time management piece is a big one that um, it just changes with those different positions and being able to have some different tools at your disposal is really helpful because what worked for you as an EIT where you're kind of being spoon-fed a lot of your tasks is not the same thing that works for you when you're supervising five or six people as a group lead or if you're president of a firm. So basically for you, it's really like a week-to-week process that you use to try to make sure you're focused on the right efforts. That's what I use to focus. You ask like on a daily, weekly basis. I also have a yearly plan and I review that quarterly, come up with my quarterly goals for myself relative to my projects. And then those I feed into those weekly plans. It's a pretty robust system for me. So Bonnie, how about you? How does it look for you in terms of trying to figure out where you really need to focus your time and energy on a a regular basis? I loved hearing Julia. She sounded very organized and I admire that. But this as the saying goes, because you don't know what you don't know. And you have an engineer that decides to start a business and then all of a sudden you've got to toss the balls of invoicing and projects, getting them out finance, this, that, and the other. And so it's been a learning process. So I've slowly been evolving to getting organized into what my day and my week and my month and my year looks like. I guess I would say that as a new firm at four and a half years, cash flow is always an issue. So I always have the rule of thumb of whatever's closest to the dollar is what I pay attention to pretty quick. So analyzing the finances and marketing and business development is probably first and foremost. And then I'll go down and making sure things are, our team is running the way it should be operational wise. Now, we do get together and we have our goals for the quarter and, and the year. And we, we do talk about that quite often. I try to stay away from emails as much as I can. I check them in the morning. As far as daily stuff, you know, just trying to be not react to stuff and just kind of push everything to the side, really focus on important things of the week. And Bonnie, you mentioned the financials, which is a, a critical component of the growth of a firm and someone in your seat. Both of you need to be really keyed into that, of course. So that would be a question I would think that a younger engineer would have. I'm interested in ownership, leadership, but I don't know much. I'm not very financially savvy, at least not at this point in my career. So was there something that you needed to do, whether it was any kind of coursework or training, or was it just something you had to just kind of learn on the job in terms of the finances of the business? I would say a little bit both. I got lucky enough to get involved into the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. So that was really phenomenal in that they taught 
me how to read all the financials of the company and how to present to a bank asking for loans if I needed it and how to present to the bank and how to you know, ask for a loan and prove to them that we had the capacity to pay back that loan through profit and loss statements or whatever we needed to do. That's been part of it. You know, they teach you that, but then it's on the job training, you know, so if you're constantly looking at the numbers, you will be knowing those, those um, income statements pretty much like the back of your hand. And how about you, Julia? I was pretty much self-taught, but early on, it was something I was always interested in. Since our company has been around for a long time, and I'm only our second president, you know, we came from ledgers, literally handwritten ledger financials through computers first came on the scene. So some of the financial backbone of the company was actually put in by me when I was a younger engineer, just because I had an interest in it. So I got a book on AE accounting and finance, and I read it and kind of figured out what an overhead rate is, how to calculate it, how to do it. I started with projects on the project side, then went to overhead rates, and then um, sort of overall balance sheets, profit and loss. It's kind of always been an interest for me. So that's kind of how I got into it. But now, but I mean, you are right, that is something a lot of people don't have. And recognizing that we have an associates program that we just started a couple of years ago. And when we bring people onto that program, whether or not they become a shareholder or not is a, a stepping stone towards that, but it's not a requirement. I teach them the finances of the firm. So I show them what a balance sheet is using ours, what a profit and loss statement is, how to read it, what it means, how we generate our revenue, what accounts receivable are, all that stuff so that they understand the finances behind the company. So if they do decide to invest and become a shareholder, they kind of, they know more about what they're getting into. So really giving people that opportunity. Yeah. So let's talk about Texas. Texas is obviously a rather large state in size. And for many reasons, I would say it's kind of like a, in the terms of the civil engineering world, it's a big state. I mean, there's a lot of land, there's a lot of roadways. I've been to Texas many times doing trainings and speaking. And a lot of times when I speak with civil engineers in Texas, there may be a recession going on in other parts of the country, but the civil engineering firms in Texas seem to stay relatively busy for maybe for some of these reasons. That's kind of what I want to talk to you both about. Bonnie, let's go back to you on this one. How about your firm in terms of being busy like over the years, being in Texas, being that there is a lot of work? Can you just talk about that a little bit? Texas is a great place to be for being busy as a civil engineer. Even through the reception and you heard about people, 1,200 people moving to the state a day, which was a crazy statistic in my mind. All those extra cars require extra roads to be built. And the more and more people that come here, more roads, more infrastructure just across the board. Because the economy here in Texas, and Julia, I can't speak for you. I'm sure it's good there. But I mean, in Houston, it's, it's very good. So since you've been building your company, Bonnie, have you seen in terms of like workload and stuff, has, have you been relatively good or busy throughout? We have been very busy. I can say the proof of that is you know, we've grown from five people to almost 30 in four and a half years. So it's been steady, a little bit up and down, but no, it's been very busy. And then you have crazy natural events that happen like Hurricane Harvey where has increased our workload some too. And Julia, how about you in the Austin area? The Austin area is thriving. We're really, I'd say, not just our firm, but pretty much all of the engineering firms here. The biggest thing holding us back is the ability to hire new folks in. So for the most part, we're you know trying to get people to move here in order to hire them in because there's just, the unemployment rate for civil engineers in Austin is zero. If you do not have a job as a civil engineer in Austin, Texas, there is a problem. 
Yeah, because that's where I was going to go. That was like kind of what I was following up on was the hiring process. I mean, I would think for this, like a size of your firms at the president level, you're probably still like pretty involved in terms of hiring or looking at, you know, helping out in terms of where we need to hire. Is that something, Julie, that you're focused on and you're working with your team on a lot in terms of hiring? Oh, absolutely. And uh, this past year, we kind of switched our thinking. Before, we used to be pretty, I guess, you know, reactive. We'd wait until we had enough workload. We take our hiring very seriously. We don't just step up and then let people go. When we hire somebody on, I have a hire for life philosophy. It's a little outdated. I assume anyone I hire, I'm going to work with until I retire. That's just my assumption going in. So, you know, we don't step up for a job thinking, oh, well, you know, if we don't have the sustained workload, we can just let them go. That's just not how we operate. So for us to hire somebody in, you know, we need to be sure that we're going to be able to sustain that workload. So we used to be very reactive, you know, waiting for that workload to get to a certain level, but it takes so long to get the right person in. We won't just take any engineer. We're very protective of our culture. So we need to be sure we're bringing in the right, the right fit for us and for them. So it can take a really long time. You know, we intentionally this year decided we would be more proactive and start seeking out folks even ahead of when we thought we needed them. And we were still behind the curve. I mean, it still took us longer to bring folks in than the demand became was here before they were, <laughs> for sure. It's been tough. Same for you, Bonnie, in terms of like, you know, always kind of like having to be looking or like in the hiring process. I love the hiring for life because that's so true. And again, with a new firm, it's very hard to balance all that workload versus the amount of people. I can say for our company, we do man hour projections probably once a month to stay on top of what work we have and how much staff we have. And if we find that one person that we really feel like would fit the culture, then absolutely it's a hire for life, like Julia said. All right. The last question I have for both of you here, and then we'll, we'll jump into our hot seat segment to talk a little bit about your careers. But Julia, for you, in terms of becoming president of the company, was a goal of yours early on in your career or was it something that evolved and happened over time? It was something I knew I wanted to do in high school. I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be a civil engineer when I was in high school, um, hence the original degree in architecture. But I always knew I wanted to own my own company. I assumed that I would have to start one from scratch, like Bonnie did. Hats off to you, because that's tough. That's what I assumed I would have to do. I did not realize going into even working um, here that it was a possibility to do within a firm that you could kind of you know rise through the ranks and become principal of the firm and then eventually take over as, as president. That wasn't something that I knew was an opportunity for me. I'm glad it worked out that way. It just wasn't something I had planned on when I first started working here because I didn't realize that that was even something people did. All of my experience had been people starting from scratch. How about you, Bonnie? You know, I think I realized that once I got my PE back in 2003, quite honestly, I didn't do it sooner because I just couldn't get my head around the details. I just, again, a lack of business knowledge. And, and I really wish that universities would have more push on the finance and, and the business ownership type curriculum going along with engineering. I was in my head for some time. And I think that helped me in my career. Wherever I worked, I had the mentality of ownership. So that was good. But Finally, right place, right time, and right people to go into business with. And it was great. Yeah. And I think it's great that you have both of you, the, the different ways that you did it, because it's helpful, I think, for the listeners to understand that there are different options if you want to become a partner, owner, president, leader of a company. You don't have to found a company yourself. 
but you can, or you might get into a company and grow with it. So there's different options. Like Bonnie said, depends on place, time, what's going on in your career, how your career unfolds. But based on the discussion that we're having here, there are many options for you if you're an entrepreneurial, if you're a leader. So I think that that's important. We're going to switch over here to our civil engineering hot seat team. We'll be back in just a minute and we'll pepper both of our presidents here with a couple of final career-related questions. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time to put these two civil engineering presidents on the civil engineering hot seat together. But before we do that, once again, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society, not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology, and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. Mazer Consulting has a civil site group located in their Hamilton, New Jersey office for which they are currently seeking an engineer, project engineer, and project manager. The engineering role would include performing design tasks such as grading and drainage associated with civil engineering projects. For the PM role, Mazer is seeking a qualified individual to grow the engineering business. This person will be responsible for developing the civil site engineering discipline in this market as well as assisting in growing existing disciplines. The main responsibilities include developing business, building a staff, and generating and maintaining clients. All right, we're back on the Civil Engineering Podcast, back with Julia Harrod and Bonnie Moss, both presidents of civil engineering firms. And this is the first time that I'm putting two presidents on the civil engineering hot seat at the same time. So you both ready to go? We're ready. Julia, you first. Is there any rituals that you have, routines every day, whether it's morning, lunchtime, end of your day, something that you do repeatedly on a daily basis to help you or that's contributed to your success? So I have a morning practice that I do. I have a gratitude journal that I uh, write in and I write out my intentions for the day. And I look back on the last day, what are my you know, wins that I can take away from the last day? What are some things I could have done better? What are things I'm grateful for? And what are my intentions for that coming day? And I find it really centers me and also gives me a lot of focus for the day. Bonnie, how about you? Any routines that you practice on a regular basis that have helped you? So whenever I meet with a client, I make a list of all the people I've met with. And then the next day I write a thank you note back to that client. It's the first thing I do in the morning because I think there's nothing better than starting your day than being grateful to people and them taking their time for you and giving you opportunities. Now I'll give this one to Bonnie for the second one. Bonnie, is there a book that you might recommend to engineers or not just engineers, but is there a book that you've read that has been very helpful to you either personally or professionally that just stands out when you think about some of your professional development? From an entrepreneurial background, spirit, uh, I would say E-Myth by Michael Gerber talks in great depth about the technician turned business owner. E-Myth is a great book and it is a, a book that does really focus on, you know, you, you get really good at something and then you start a business around it, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be really good at business. So it is very helpful. I'm a fan of that book myself and it is helpful if you are entrepreneurial. 
I think the example he uses was someone might bake really good pies and all their friends tell them that they should start going to the pie business. But the thing is, is that they're really good at making pies, not really good at building a business. So that's a good one for sure. How about you, Julia? So many books I can recommend. So I just finished actually the audiobook for Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, which I thought was awesome. And if you're going to read the book, do the audio because she's just such a good storyteller. It's like having her in your living room. I found that to be very inspirational. So that was Dare to Lead? I think that's what it's called. Dare to Lead, Brene Brown. We'll link to these books in the show notes. Julia, another one for you. You've had managers for sure, many or several different managers in your time as an engineer as, as you've grown through the ranks. If you had to think back on your managers, and, and I'm not asking either of you to name any names, but if you thought of like your favorite manager or best managers that you've had, right? What makes them your favorite? What makes them like the best manager that you've had? What is something that they did that really you remember, you know, now that you're president and you've had these managers that have helped you to grow? Really, the uh, managers that take time, that take time for you, you know, they not necessarily waiting for you. I mean, it's, it's great if you can go to your manager and be like, hey, I need some time, I need some help, but who can see that you're struggling and kind of come in and what can I do to help you? What do you need from me right now? You know, and kind of give you some advice and kind of point you in the right direction and then let you go off in that direction, maybe even stumble a little. I mean, not hold your hand the whole way, but just kind of point you in that direction, step back watch you a little bit and then kind of, you know, know that they're there to kind of help you if you do stumble. Bonnie, how about you? Some of the managers that you might remember, what was something that they did that made them really stick out for you? I think I remember my managers as I was a young EIT, just including me on the big picture, taking me to the business development meetings when as an EIT at the time, I didn't have a clue. Sharing with me the finances of the company or like Julia said, taking the time for me and just being there for me. I think, you know, just being there for me and knowing my family's names, you know, my kids' names, my husband's names, and just there personally as well as professionally. All right. So I've got one final question for both of you that we call the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So I'll start with you, Bonnie. If you were to get into an elevator with a civil engineer maybe they're up and coming in their career, they want to be a president one day or a leader one day in the field, and they have about 30 seconds with you, and you can give them some advice, what would you tell them? I would tell them to be sure to ask as many questions as possible. And how about you, Julia? I'd say get involved in either your professional or your technical society. It made a huge difference for me being involved with the National Society of Professional Engineers for me in particular. just gives you a lot of opportunity to network, to meet other people, to see how other people lead, and to give you an, an opportunity to kind of test that out yourself on committees, et cetera. And because this is one of the episodes of our Women in Civil Engineering series, I'd like to add in one last question for both of you. You're both women leaders in our industry. You're president of companies and you've both been successful. One of the reasons I started this series was my wife is also a civil engineer. And I know for her, growing through her career, sometimes it was a little bit, she lacked confidence a little bit, partly because there was a lot of men in the industry and the field. And so I just wondered if each of you, as we close out here, could just maybe give a message to those women in civil engineering that are out there, they're building their careers. Maybe they want to be where you are someday in terms of president of a company, leader of a company. Julia, is there something you could offer to them if they're listening to this episode? Really good question. I feel for your wife. I would say that, you know, they call it imposter syndrome. 
everybody has it at some point in time in their career. I bet the guys do too, and they just don't talk about it as much. If you're stretching and you're growing, there's going to be a time where you're sitting in a meeting and everyone's talking about something and you're thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to ask me a question and I'm not going to know the answer. And you know, that's okay. You can just say, I'm going to check in on that and I'm going to get back to you. And just to have that confidence and, and maybe really just surround yourself with people that you know have your back. So you can go back to the office and be like, hey, I was just in this weird situation where they're asking me all these questions. I don't know the answer. What do I do? And, you know, have some folks that can really mentor you and, and take you through that and step you up in your career. How about you, Bonnie? The advice I would give is just be confident where you are. You're smart enough that you got to this point. And actually, whether you're male or female, it's really a non-issue. And if once you have that mindset, it being a non-issue, you just go. And know that this, the, being a female civil engineer is probably to your advantage because, you know, you're authentic. You're authentic when you lead and when you follow. And that's the mentality and the mindset you have to have. Have that confidence. And both of you kind of give them the same idea there of having confidence, right? Be yourself, have confidence, stick with it, even if there are times to get tough. And really, all of our listeners, it doesn't matter, like Bonnie said, men, women, we all go through the ups and downs of the engineering world. For many reasons, our projects are complex. We deal with a lot of different types of people on a lot of different types of projects. And I believe in just doing what we do at EMI that the number one, I mean, you could build every skill in the world, but if you're not confident, it really doesn't matter. That's the key thing. Julia Harrod, Bonnie Moss, both leaders in the civil engineering world and some of the busiest civil engineering cities right now in the United States. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to spend some time here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. It was a really pleasure to spend some time with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. It was great. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with these two exciting civil engineering leaders today. It was great to have both of them on. And I was able to do that because we've gotten so many women that have been nominated for this Women in Civil Engineering series on the Civil Engineering Podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. In fact, I have a couple of episodes coming up, one with a woman who came here from India and now practices in Los Angeles, and she's focused on decoupling the water and energy nexus, and another woman who is a British engineer located in Nepal, and she's building a road or overseeing the construction of a road that's bringing two communities together that right now they have to walk for three or four days to get to each other, but soon they'll be able to drive for four hours. So some pretty amazing stuff. And lastly, I want to remind you that we do have an online workshop focused on helping engineers make that transition from engineer to manager. It's called the Engineering Management Accelerator Online Workshop. We have an on-demand option that you can start immediately, or you can sign up for our next live session. Just visit engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 129. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 